This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, a podcast with an unlimited data plan that has a data cap. It's good. It's good. T-Mobile and Verizon both doing that this week. That intro comes from It's Ravi G on Twitter. Exactly right. what it sounds like. Uh, we love your intro. Is it 22 gigs? or? I think Verizon is 22 and T-Mobile is 28. They hit you with the Are extra. 28? Yeah. yeah so I, the, I, I don't trust T-Mobile not to, not to throttle me. I don't care what John yeah. said, says. <laughs> Anyhow, this person talking is I'm Eli Patel. This person talking is Verge Executive Editor, Editor Larger Recode, my friend Walter S. Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? It's going great. How could it not be going great? I'm in a Ritz Carlton overlooking the Pacific. It's, what can I it's tell one you? of the most Walt Mossberg things I've ever heard. So you are at Code Media, which just wrapped up last night. Right. Big conference right. in the Code series. Uh kind yeah. of it seemed like kind of a rocking conference this year. It was a great one, and all credit to our colleague Peter Kafka, who, uh, as uh, a lot of our listeners know, is uh, Recode's media reporter, but also recently just did a joint piece with Ben Popper, The Verge. Yeah. Uh, I happen to think Peter is the best media reporter in the world, and you might say, well, why don't I care about that? You guys care about it because you're journalists, but um, given everything around us going on right now with the change in administrations and everything, I mean, I think... And also issues with regard to fake news and bad ads and everything else going on on the Internet and the whole digital transformation. Media is a really important part of tech, which is why yeah. we do this conference. This was the fifth one, and uh, it was great. So it really Some highlights just in watching it. You were just talking about Marty Baron, who's the editor of The Washington Post. Uh, yeah. Featured in the movie Spotlight, kind of a huge celebrity right. now, which is not <laughs> yeah. normal for a newspaper editor. Um, he had a great line, which was, "We're not the opposition party; we're just coming to work and doing our jobs." I thought right. that was great. Um, and you were, you were saying he held it; he held the audience <laughs> wrapped. He did. He there were there were actually standing ovations from these uh, people who are not primarily journalists. They're they're like I said, they're in the business of various aspects of media, uh, including ads and including a lot of video and uh, some of it's digital, some of them are analog or cable people. Uh, I was sitting next to, uh, at certain points in the conference, uh, somebody from Comcast. I mean, the whole room was full of these kind of people who you wouldn't naturally think would get that excited about the editor of the Washington Post, but they were standing O's for several of the things he said. Wow. And uh, it was a really – and Kara Swisher and I did that interview. It was like the 800th <laughs> on-stage interview we've done together. But um, And we well, really kept trying to say something, uh, stuff that he didn't you know, push him to say meaner things about various people, and he wouldn't do it. But he was – Yeah. He was great. He was, he was what you think an editor ought to be. Yeah, and then Peter interviewed uh, Eddie Q from Apple, right. Ben Silverman, who's now producing Planet of the Apps. I got to say, 
Planet of the Apps looks horrific. It looks like one of the worst things. It was just from the trailer. You know, you can never tell. You got to watch the whole thing. It just looks like schlock. Are you getting a different impression? I don't understand why you wouldn't think Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Alba are the right judges. <laughs> the I mean, so here, here are the judges. I just, and I'm, Will I'm, I am. And will <laughs> I, so it's Will I am, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, it's Jessica Alba, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Vaynerchuk is a somewhat successful like media yeah. tech branding entrepreneur. Right. Um, I you know I don't know that he has this like long history, but like he's in the space. Jessica Alba runs the Honest Company. She actually has some tech bona fides. Yeah. That's fine. He does. Right. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow runs Goop, which is just a <laughs> shit show. So why? Um, and then Will I Am has put his name on some of the worst products I have ever seen. In the we ran an article on his smartwatch, the Pulse smartwatch. Dan Seifert's headline was, "This is the worst thing I've put on my wrist all year," <laughs> and it, we, we were just true. Like you know, you get into trouble well, when you write look, headlines like that. He's a charming fellow. Yeah. He's a celebrity. Uh, I, I believe you know. he's he's a creative director for Intel. Like you know, he's like one of these guys. He has talent, but uh, and Ben Silverman, you know, has a great track record. He did yeah. The Office. Uh, the American version of The Office. He ran, uh, what did he run, NBC? Yeah, he, he was, some, a, he was like the president of NBC, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, like a, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. And I sat there watching that thing in the front <laughs> row. It's the only thought, way you can describe it, that thing. And I just thought, well, first of all, the whole like Shark Tank, Apprentice format from which this derives is has like it been done many times. And secondly... You know, Eddie, in his usual way, who I've known, I've, I mean, I think I've known Eddie 22 years or something. Eddie, in his usual way, is like, Peter says, is this an ad for Apple? Eddie goes, no, there's no ads in it. It's not an ad for Apple. It's an entire ad show yeah. that's an ad for Apple. I mean, yes, Google, does Google have apps? Yes, it does. But this is really an ad for Apple. And it just didn't, I agree with you. It did not look like something people would want to watch. It just did not. I mean, Carpool Karaoke, which is their other show. Well, that was good. That looks great. It's like, you know, I like this format. I like this thing. Let's have a good time. Planet of the Apps is like, it's every it's every high concept all wrapped up into one bad concept. Well, Carpool Karaoke uh, will not have James Corden as the host, which will make a difference. And it will be half an hour long. And they But they showed clips. They have like John Legend driving with, I can't remember who, some other celebrity uh some of the people are not singers, and then there are musicians yeah. also in the car. So that's a kind of an interesting mashup. Corden is going to do a few of them. But it's here's the thing. It's, it's being produced and made by the guy who is the producer of The Late Late Show, did do the carpool. He's, he's Corden's partner. I mean, he yeah. did the carpool karaoke that, that Corden did. He produced the Grammys the night before. Yeah, which had a that was great. He looked very film. tired on stage. He looked very tired on stage, but he's a talented guy. Yeah. Um, but let's go beyond that for a second, and then we need to move on to our other topics. We have a lot to talk about in the show. This, this is going to be a long show. I can tell, um, I can tell you right now. Uh, in terms of that interview, and there were, by the way, there were other very interesting interviews at Code uh, Media besides Marty Baron and this one. Eddie Q was being typical, you know, oblique Apple yeah. But if you read between the lines of what he's saying, I came away believing, uh, even though he said in several 
different variations that they weren't going to jump. They weren't about to jump into this. I think they're going to do original shows. Yeah. I think they're doing original programming. I think it'll be some of it'll be scripted. I think it's all, all going to look like Planet of the Apps. Turns out Planet of the Apps, by the way, was something they were working on before they went to Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like fine. My fine. <laughs> Well, the uh, line was, well, what's the prize? The prize has to be featuring in the App Store. So, like, here we are. Right? So, at some point, they would have had to meet with Apple. But yeah. um, Apple's very interested in getting into programming. I think they're getting into programming. That yeah, was he what also I, hinted, uh, he said on stage, Amazon will be on the Apple TV soon. Wouldn't get that. any closer to it. I thought the audience, this is often the case at these events. Whenever I go to the main code conference with Wald, I get a stern lecture to ask hard questions from the audience. I don't know if Peter went and spiked a couple drinks. I thought the audience was incredibly hard on Eddie. The first question was basically, why doesn't Apple innovate anymore? And then questions like three through five were, yeah, that, that question. Uh, and he had some good answers. Yeah. Uh, but it was it's interesting how the audience, they, they pushed him, I thought, much harder. Oh, look, I've been doing these, I've been doing yeah. these uh, uh, conferences in, of which this is one of our series, but I've been doing them since 2003 and uh, what I have learned is that the audience almost always comes up with one or two questions you either didn't think of yeah. or you thought of them but you didn't the way the conversation went you didn't quite get a chance yeah. to get them in and it could be anybody in the audience uh, obviously we have some journalists in the audience and that's very helpful because they're used to asking questions but some person you don't even know from some company who paid a ticket to get in pops up and asks a great question. Yeah. So I always I always appreciate that. And I know for an absolute fact that Peter was counting on some of that from the audience. But yeah. he didn't I don't he didn't plant questions. But no, I, no, I'm I saying it's just the tenor it you know the the, the questions and the answers are one thing and you, everyone should, listening should go watch this video. I it, it was the tenor of the questions that I thought was interesting. It was yeah. very it was a lot harsher than I, I see Apple executives. Well, you know, Apple, it, people, it's so funny. If Microsoft is up there, there's a certain level of respect, of course, particularly now because people respect Satya more than they ex respected Steve Ballmer. Uh, if, if, if Facebook gets – and by the way, all of these companies have been at our conferences multiple yeah. times. Yeah, Facebook was there at Code Media. And Google was there. I mean, they were well. Dan Rose was there, but I mean, we've had Mark Zuckerberg at the yeah. at the bigger Code Conference in May, and uh, a couple of times, and uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Tim Cook, and uh, you know, on and on and on. I think there's a different reaction whenever Apple is up on stage. Yeah. I think there is, and I don't know how many years this is going to last, but there's a we have lived our lives. Uh, and there's a long, large age range that falls into this. We have lived our lives knowing that the next great thing we were going to want is going was going to come from Apple. Yeah, and and thinking that Steve Jobs was like the iconic genius of the industry, I th I personally think a lot of that is true. But yeah. the point is, it hasn't happened lately. Yeah, and so people are like, "What's up? Yeah, what's up going? with that? That's uh, really basically was the question. What's up with that?" Yeah. What is going on? I it was, mean, it's something you should go. So everybody should listening. We've got we got to get into it. Anyway, um, let's move on. But all these videos now are up on Recode's YouTube channel. They're all fascinating. You should go watch them. Uh, as um, what was saying, Dan Rose from Facebook was on talking about fake fake news, or somebody from Google talking about fake news, uh, which we talk about on the show all the time. 
uh, Marty Baron, Eddie Q. Uh, there's a demo that you should watch. We're going to talk about this demo much later from a company called but Kavo. You should watch the demo. You watch the demo because it, it's really interesting. So a bunch of great stuff from Code Media. I think just one of the one of the the better Code Media's I've seen. Uh, just full of just full of like crackling information. So check it out. This episode of Control Walt Delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term smart home simply meant a remote-controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title smart home implies, Vivint Smart Home. As the number one smart home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. With all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock, and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint smart home and security system offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to vivint.com slash Walt to learn more. That's V-I-V-I-N-T dot com slash Walt. All right. So, Walt, you wrote a column this week, kind of a, a stormer of a column, in my opinion, about the new Chromebook Plus from Google. It's a big step for them. It's the first Chromebook that is, you know, that they helped design with Samsung, and it runs Android apps, which is a concept that we have talked about basically forever. What'd you think? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like it. I mean, just say yeah. it. You didn't like it. I thought it was a big fail, a huge fail, an embarrassing fail for Google. This is the ironic thing. I mean, I have been pushing them privately to do this for a while. I'm not taking, I mean, it's not, they, it's not like I was the only one that thought of it, but I've been pushing them privately. And then publicly about a year ago, I wrote a column saying, okay, here's what each of the big tech companies, I really hope they do this year. I really expect them to do. And that, this was the thing I wanted Google to do. And they called me up whenever it was a couple of months ago or a month ago. And they said, Hey, you know, we remember that column you wrote? Well, we've finally done it. There finally is a purpose-built Chromebook, purpose-built with the right hardware and software to, to run uh, uh, the Chrome, the, Chrome uh, the Google Play Store and to run Android apps. And we're going to send you one. And they sent Dieter Bone one. Uh, hey, who's hey. that? Dieter Bone is in the room. How amazing is that? Because, you know, there is a requirement that we mention his name. Yeah. But we, this time we summoned him. We, we mentioned him on the show a hundred times. And he shows up. Dieter is in New York this week visiting, yeah. and he was walking by, and I was like, we got to And Dieter wrote well. his, own, his own review on this the, the, a few days before mine. But the point is, uh, so I was very excited, and... Um, I opened this Chromebook. There are two versions. One is not coming out till April. It's not really important to go into now. Yeah. There is one out this week. It runs on an ARM chip, which for those handful of people who don't know uh, in the Verge readership. people listening to this show, I think? <laughs> you got to be really committed to us if you're listening right. to this. All I'm hard. saying is the ARM chip is what yeah. runs on everybody's phone and everybody's tablet. It's what Android apps were made to run on. It's what iOS apps are made to run on. So the fact that this Chromebook runs on the ARM chip and runs Chrome OS very well is 
a little bit surprising, but it did very nicely. The fact that it should run Android apps really well should not be surprising, but the Chrome OS is in the middle, so that took a bunch of work. Yeah. But the bottom line is the Android apps are, uh, you know, awful, awful yeah. on this Chromebook. Um, so they they crash. They present themselves in a way that is wrong and just uses the space badly and it's not functional and on and on. It, they're just so, nowhere near there yet. So Dieter is literally hit and run on the yeah, show. He, like, got- it, he was literally <laughs> walking by and I made him drop in. <laughs> I just want to say you're right. The the Android apps uh, on this thing are bad. It is technically still in beta, so they theoretically have uh, two months or so to fix yeah. it. But realistically, they've had five years to make Android apps good on big screens, and they haven't done it yet. So it's weird that they yeah. made such a fuss. Dieter and I went. We we went to the briefing at CES. Yep. And they, you know, it was the big briefing. It was the big show, and it was the big announcement. And it's just not. It's not anywhere farther than it was when I saw it in beta before it was announced. Yeah. On like a Chromebook Pixel that I have. There's a there's a story here that Google got the Pixel right. They got Home right, um, but Android Wear and Chrome OS were both things that I expected them to have for the holiday season last year, and they didn't. And now they're, they're coming out now, and they're super underwhelming. And with that, goodbye. Talk to you guys later. And that's Control Alt <laughs> Delete, Dieter. everyone. That's the whole show. It's Dieter the series bone. finale. Deer showed up for five minutes at Google's failing and left. Uh, it's great. It's, it's what the, uh, that's what the listeners always wanted. <laughs> but here's why Google's failing. I mean, Dieter yes. just, just said it, but I want to elaborate just a little bit on it because it's an instructive lesson. So for years, he said five years. I think he's about right, about five years. Um, people have been saying, and that includes Dieter and it includes me. Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm talking about talking to people like Sundar, who now is the – Sundar Pichai, who's now the CEO of Google – and, but at the time was running Chrome and, and eventually Android. And before him, Andy Rubin, who ran, who really invented Android and who, who ran that. And I, this is what we would say. Hey, if you look at iOS, your competitor, they've done this thing called universal apps. And they did it partly because a big part of their business at the time was the iPad. Uh, and it was important to them. So the universal app is like a package where the developer writes an app, and they write kind of two versions of it, And but it's bundled in one package, and when you go to install it, it says, oh, I'm installing it on an iPhone. You get a phone-looking app. Or, oh, I'm installing it on an iPad. Even an iPad mini, which isn't that yeah. much bigger than the biggest phones today, but certainly all the way up to an iPad Pro 12-inch, whatever, it says it's an iPad. So it has a bigger screen. So we're going to give you an app that not only looks good visually in terms of the size of the type and uh, you know how much of the space it takes up, but we're going to put extra panels, different UI, much more PC or Mac-like UI on it so that you can do things faster and more logically on it because, after all, you have a bigger screen. Android never took that point of view. They did yeah. have several sizes, but they were all basically different sizes of the phone app. And if and now you have a 12-inch screen on this Chromebook, and what you get are things like this. You get very skinny columns of all the material and all the UI of the app in floating in the middle of all this white space, and it looks ridiculous. Or you get, and Google Messenger is the one I think of with this one, you get a phone app, 
So it's a single column, and the lines are stretched across the whole screen. Yeah. In a ridiculous way, and the type is so little you can barely read it. And this goes on and on. Even some of Google's own apps, like Google News and Weather and uh, a couple of other Google apps that I tried, look exactly the same way. They hand-coded Gmail and Google Calendar for the, the ones that are installed on the Plus. They would look good. Yeah. But And so they said, and they know this. They say, oh... It's going to take a long time to do this. We're really working on it. We're trying to get our third parties to do it. But like Dieter said, they've been saying this for years. I mean, forever. And it's funny because the two ones that you mentioned, why on earth would you use the Gmail mobile app when you're sitting in front of the Chrome browser? What? There's right. no it, – it just it boggles the mind. It's not as good of an experience. It's the mobile app. It's inherently limited. Com- right. But it could be. This is the point. It, if you it think of it – could be. Well – you use an iPad. I use an iPad a lot. Yeah. Um, there I'm are just saying, when I'm getting through Gmail, I'm way there. faster on the web. Yeah. Right? And okay, I, 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 it's like the ones they picked are not the ones that you want the mobile experience to come to your desktop. I never right. sit in front of my computer thinking, man, I wish I had the Gmail mobile app in front of me right now. I'm like, but I'm just going to type between... gmail.com into this browser and use it. Okay. So I'm going to be a little bit contrary here. I don't yeah. disagree with you with regard to Gmail, but I do think... And, and I certainly, there are a lot of fantastic uses for the browser. That's Chrome OS. That's its own yeah. thing. And it works great. But I think there are, I think people are used to apps, what you called mobile apps now, so much in their daily lives that they just, that's what they're most familiar with. They would like to use those on everything. I think there's a case to be made for it. But it has to be more than a, there's a difference between a phone app and, and a tablet app. Sure. And probably a difference between a tablet app properly done and maybe an app for something with an attached screen and a clamshell form factor. And they're not even trying. Yeah. Apple is already partway there. And so I'm going to give you a theory here. Yeah. I have no reporting behind this. I want to stress to our listeners who yeah. sometimes think, I might know something about Apple. In this case, and I do sometimes know something about Apple, but in this case, I don't. I look at that little MacBook, which is expensive and still runs on a very pokey, it is an Intel processor, but it's a very pokey, low-end Intel processor. It's much slower than the processor in, say, the iPad Pro. Exactly. Thank you, Nilay Patel. Um, The processor in in the iPad Pro... Who designs that processor? Apple. People forget Apple has an entire silicon company inside of it, a silicon design company. It doesn't actually, it doesn't have a fab. It outsources the the making of the chips, but it designs the chips right to the specs of the OS. iOS, which runs the mobile devices, is a version of Mac OS. Um, They. Once well, it is. Time. Yeah, they're, Once they were forked from the same beginning. And Apple brings them the together and pulls them apart, you know. Right. I get it, but there's still some commonality, commonality. in the underlying yep. code. I have a theory, based on no reporting, that that pokey, overpriced 12-inch MacBook, which is beautiful, by the way, mm-hmm. just the performance isn't great with Mac OS and with that chip, 
is going to migrate to the ARM chip that is faster, as you just said, than the Intel chip that's in it right now. Would also save them money, presumably. I mean, they make, they, they design, they control that chip and call it whatever they want, the A15. I don't care what they call it. <laughs> right. I think that's going to be a first step, and they'll run Mac OS on that. And then mm-hmm. I, I actually can envision a situation where it runs iOS. Either in this mm-hmm. Google way, where the iOS apps run yeah. somehow, or just runs iOS. I, not I, all Macs. They not all Macs. They got a on it. Right, that's a that's a big step. A touchscreen yeah. with a keyboard they is put, not they where Apple has been. They not a, that's not where they've been. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not where they could go. So I and, so I I agree with you in the broad stroke of this. I I think it the if it plays out, it might play out a different way, which is Mark Gurman at Bloomberg, uh, who is very good, has a great great track record on rumors, says Apple is going to start putting an ARM chip next to its Intel chip. Uh, I know, and, and it's going to. You know, do certain low power tasks so you get longer battery life. Um, certain apps can offload to it if they don't need as much power. Yeah. If you, if that's their starting place, then what they're going to say to app developers is, "Hey, your people are going to want the apps that perform better and get better uh, battery life if you write them to ARM." And that's how they start migrating apps to that ARM processor. And then once they get a critical mass. Then I think they can flip the switch and say you can just buy an ARM MacBook. Right, it's got a bunch of Mac I didn't say this is. I didn't say this is instant. And in yeah, fact, I, I think I, it'll I think be. In, two, I think it'll be in year. stages. But I would not be surprised in three years. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not talking about all Macs. I mean, yeah. it could go to all Macs if it if people like it. But I just keep eyeing that little one and saying, it's it's very much like this Chromebook I, I'm, that's sitting in front of me that I reviewed, uh, except it's. Nicer, actually. <laughs> it's way hard, nicer in terms of the hardware. Yeah, Dieter has that Chromebook here too, and it's it's not it's pretty. Plastic-y. But I mean, it's it's roughly the same size. It's actually a little lighter, a little smaller, but it's the same thing. And it's not a terrific Mac in a lot of ways because the processor's too slow and whatever. Yeah. But if you suddenly say, okay, it's ARM, and not only is it ARM, but it's ARM we control, we design. And then gradually you can see iOS apps not exactly presented the same way as they are on the iPhone or even the iPad. They can be presented in a way that you would say to yourself, you know what, this is just as good. First of all, I use it all day anyway. Secondly, it's just as good as going to something on the web. It could be done. It could be done. I think it could be done. So far, they've been real religious about that split. They have been. There's there's a there's a change a fundamental philosophical change, but there's not saying they can't do it. You know, that's a company that's changed religions several times that is on a dime true. completely. Yeah, no, I, I I think that little one, the you know Intel's roadmap for that processor is not it's not a barnstormer, right? There's no big leap in performance coming for that line. It's it's just going to keep chugging. And along. by the so, way, that's the same processor that's in the hundred dollars more. Uh, version of this uh, Chromebook that runs Android uh, yeah. that's coming in April. It's the same. Dieter, thing. Dieter actually he has a piece on that, that the Chromebook Plus, and he described it as the nightmare before the dream, uh, yeah. which is pretty harsh coming from. Dieter, no, you mean the Pro? That's the Pro. That's, that's the, the Pro. pro. Yeah. Um, both these things are real buggy. To come back, just to come back to this for a second, it's amazing to me that Google put out so much hardware. They put so much emphasis on hardware this year. And they just, except for, I think, the Google Home, have just kind of duffed it on every one of those things. Like, you cannot buy a Pixel phone. 
Yeah. It, I, it, like, what is yeah. the it's first thing? It's a pretty thing? good phone. They're great phones. We all I gave have it one on order. Reviews. It's still not coming yeah. until March. Oh, I, I have one. I bought one. Yeah, I, I've been trying. Uh, it's, it's a stat. I mean, like, what's well, the you're first? Not me. What are the, the table stakes? Is you're not me. Yes. When I order it, they send it. I, I wasn't even on the order. <laughs> did you buy one from Verizon, or did you buy an unlocked one? I bought an unlocked one. <sighs> Dan, see, I gotta, I gotta start ordering my phones in your name. That's why you play. <laughs> <laughs> Start telling people I'm you. Can I just um, say, say to our listeners, and they're savvy listeners, so they probably know this, never buy a phone from a carrier store. Yeah. Hey, why am I going to If you're that? buying so, a, an iPhone, buy it from Apple. If you're buying a, a Pixel, buy it try. online or whatever Desperately from Desperately try, try to buy it from, from <laughs> Google. Uh, but like, what are the table stakes of making phone hardware? It's physically make it so that you can sell it. And I don't know why they've struggled so badly. Uh, yeah. Then there's this Chromebook push. They did the thing that we've wanted them to do. They're integrating Chromebook, uh, Chrome OS, and Android. They just didn't finish the job. It, it's a, it's astounding right. to me that they're shipping this product in such an unfinished state. Uh, and I, you know, it's Google and everything's beta, but they've been at it for a while. And you know, if they're going to well, make it's a, splash, a bad beta, that's the thing. It's beta, but it's a bad beta. And like when they when they said Gmail was a beta, it worked pretty well, even right from the beginning. And they kept that beta tag on for like five years, by which time it was really a finished product. Right. Uh, this is different. This just yeah, is going to frustrate you. I mean, the kicker on my column this week about this was if you want, if you like Chrome OS, you like the concept of the Chromebook, this is a really good Chromebook. But if you're buying this because you really like your Android apps and you'd like to see them on a, on a, on a laptop device, you are signing on for a long, you know, frustrating, difficult journey that who knows when it's going to end. That's basically yeah. what you're doing. It's a thing. But it's just funny. It's, you know, Google made a big deal out of their new initiatives around hardware. And so far, I think Google Home is the one where they're consistently building it. They're shipping it to people and people kind of like it. Everything yeah. else, it's just it's plagued by by issues of execution, which is not how you want to begin. Right. I Google completely agree People with like you. Google Wi-Fi, but what do you, you know, it, it, it almost well, doesn't count. Well, that's not a big problem. Like, yeah. There's yeah, a million of some, those, yeah. They made some Wi-Fi routers. Um, okay. Let's talk about a thing at Code Media that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited about, I have to tell you. Um, oh, my God. You're such a lunatic. I'm a lunatic. I, last night I told Walt that I, I definitely need more friends. because <laughs> You definitely need more friends. So uh, here's what happened. Here's, Here's what happened. happened. Our, our brilliant colleague, uh, Lauren Good, and Peter Kafka, I think, was involved in this too. But Lauren went to see this new product. And there's a certain sentiment. It's a TV product. It's called Cavo, which will and we'll explain it in a second. But there's a little sentimentality. They wanted to launch their company and their product at uh, one of our conferences. And it's partly because... This product was co, the company Cabo was co-founded and the product was co-developed by a guy named Blake Krikorian, who was a real innovator and uh, plus a, a, a really beloved guy in Silicon Valley, who 14 years ago at our conference stood up and launched the Slingbox. And so now it's 14 years later, he has his next big TV product. Sadly, he passed away of a heart attack uh, within the last year at the age of 48. But the guys that were working with him, they wanted to still 
come forward and launch it at this conference. So Lauren goes, meets with them a few weeks ago. They asked if I would be involved in the demo as well because of this whole history. And so Lauren and I talk to them. I go and have my own briefing with them beforehand. It's a really cool product that I'm going to buy. I'm just going to say that right now, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, un unless it somehow doesn't work, but it seemed to work really well. Uh, I'm going to buy it. Uh, and this is what it is. So you understand. So if you are listening to this show, odds are very high. You have multiple things plugged into your TV for different purposes. You have you might you might or might not have a cable box. I don't know, but let's say you have a cable box for the sake of argument. You might have a, a game console plugged in. In addition, you probably have either or both of an Apple TV and a Roku, and then maybe an Amazon Fire Stick, and a Chromecast. Mm -hmm. In fact, Chromecasts are so cheap, you probably all have a Chromecast. <laughs> what are they? There's a hardware bucks? product Google did well. There's one. I'll yeah, that one. 40 bucks or whatever. Yeah, 30 so you all have a Chromecast. So you have all these things, and they all take each take up an input on your TV. If you don't have enough input, you have to have a little switcher, which has its own remote and a lot of latency and you know whatever. It's kind of annoying. Uh, or if you have a newer TV, you have a lot of inputs, and you can have them all in there, but you still have to switch inputs. Um, and there's incompatibilities. If you want Netflix, it's on everything, so that's not a problem. But if you want, if the program you want to watch is on Amazon Prime, that's not going to be, that's not on Apple TV. Like you yep. said earlier, there's a hint maybe that will change. But right now it's not on Apple TV. If there's a show or a movie that you bought on iTunes rather than streaming, you actually bought it. And, and there's a lot of people who have hundreds of those. They may not be buying so many now, but they have a catalog of them and they may want to watch them again. <clears throat> that's only on Apple TV. And there's a, probably a couple of other things only on Apple TV. So you have to jump around and you have to number the inputs or name the inputs, know what you want to do. Plus, all those boxes are ugly. They're sitting under your TV or near your TV somewhere unless you're really rich and you have them installed through, you know, in some closet or something. Mostly they're sitting out there somewhere and it's a mess. Yeah. And uh, I know my wife hates it. Uh, I mean, she doesn't hate the programming, but she hates the way the whole thing looks. So what these guys have done is they basically built a meta Uber set-top box that will become the only set-top box you see and the only remote that you use to control everything. Yeah. And they switch between these inputs without you numbering the inputs, naming the inputs, knowing the inputs, uh, and with one remote, with their remote. And or so actually, by the, the way, thing I will say is I think that they have they confused a lot of people by not positioning this thing correctly. So they're talking about the meta box. They're talking about the problem. They should have just said we have built the ultimate universal remote control, right? And it's got the software layer that abstracts away all the, the other interfaces. Right, there's software on the you, screen. Yeah, that's fine, whatever. But what they've really fundamentally done, if you look at the pricing, is they've come out with a competitor to something like the Logitech Harmony, which if you're, as Walt is describing, you have 100 boxes, I have a Logitech Harmony remote, and so I pick it up, and it's programmed with, it's full of macros, and you push Apple TV, and right. it switches to the correct input here, and on the TV, and it lights up, it, you know, all the buttons remap. But it does, it actually does a little more than that. I get the analogy, but it, and it's close. But yeah, it, but it's in terms of making people understand 
like it's not a meta sept that's like a piece of the e- equation but the product that it's going to replace most fundamentally in your life is your remote control yes it will remain although they've done a very clever thing yeah we can get into club, that but like you know where you can still use the other remotes but anyway yeah. so you have their remote you have their box. It's a nice-looking box. It actually has wood on top of it. The remote <laughs> has – the back of the remote is wood, real yeah. wood, genuine wood. Bamboo. Three, uh, three kinds of wood. On stage, no, I said to Walt, you could use it as cutting board, which is great. <laughs> yeah, I asked if you needed a coaster <laughs> on it. Um, so you can hide all your other boxes. Sure. This is actually particularly a problem for the cable guys – and the satellite guys, because they're always input one. And yep. they're always kind of the biggest box. Because all the other boxes are small. Their box is big. Now it's hidden. And it's all just this wooden topped. Th- it's it's kind of wide, but it's narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, by the ca- cobble and it's thin. This, it's like relatively thin. It's thin, yeah. And uh, it has eight inputs. and But you don't even, the word input is like Doesn't obsolete exist. when you get this thing. Yep. So that's the other part of the secret sauce. You could say, I want a network, but mostly in all their demos, the one they did on stage, the private ones they did for Lauren and me, they basically just call up shows. Yep. Uh, and, and that's so cool. They're not calling up the device. They're not calling up a network. They're not calling up a service. They're calling up a show. They're saying... Mm-hmm. Uh, you you talk into their remote, or by the way, you could use an uh, Amazon Echo or Alexa device, uh, any other Alexa device. Uh, you can say, "I want to see," I, or, or "I want to watch Game of Thrones." So what it does, it decides which of your devices has Game of Thrones. And by the way, did you happen to be watching Game of Thrones on one of these devices at one point? And did you leave off in the middle? Mm-hmm. If you left off in the middle. It knows the show, it knows which device it's on, which service it's on, which device it's on, and if you've been watching it, it knows the state, and it just brings it up. And a colorful screen comes up that says, this is coming from Apple TV, it's coming from HBO Now or HBO Go, whichever it is, and here's Game of Thrones. And it's very short, there's not a lot of latency, there's a little bit of loading, but it's right there. And you're right where you left off. If you haven't already been watching it, it'll bring it up so you can start watching another episode. You have the opportunity on things like HBO, which might appear on multiple of your boxes, to say which box is the default one. But if you unplug that box, it falls back to another box that HBO go without you saying or doing a thing. So you still get your show. And it's like magic when you're watching it. They also have some, a couple of, they don't have a lot of UI, but they have a couple of screens which show you something you've never seen in your life before, which is the Amazon icon and the iTunes icon <laughs> next to each other yeah. because they can handle it all. They can handle live shows from your cable box. They can handle what's been DVR'd by you. Everything that you normally want, every source, every show that you ever want, every service, they can just handle it just by you asking for the show. So I think that's – you have another whole fascinating story about this, which we're going to get to in a second. Yeah. But I think this is profoundly interesting for two reasons. One, it demotes all the boxes. You don't see them. 
You don't have to see the whole interface of any of these boxes ever. Uh, there are certain circumstances, depending on what you ask for, where you might see part of the interface, but generally you're no longer seeing the whole Roku interface, the whole Apple interface, the whole Amazon interface, the whole Comcast interface, whatever. So it, in a way, it demotes all those guys' interfaces. It demotes the physical box from your field of view because they could be hidden like on the floor behind your TV, yeah. just completely, you don't even see them. And it... Um, also breaks through the whole question of boxes and ser even services yep. uh, and goes right to the show, which is yeah. really what we all want. But it's not doing it in the way that we keep wanting Apple to do it or somebody to do it with a lot of deals with the studios and their own service. It's just saying, hey, we're just going to lump these boxes together, give you one point of contact, one remote, one box you can look at, and we're going to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. And that is... 400 bucks. It's coming out in very limited distribution in 2017, just 5,000 units. Starting in June, you can order it, but you won't receive it till the fall, I think. And I, you know, I'm going to buy one just yeah. based on what I saw. Well, I think it's really, I mean, they got to they gotta ship a product that works. I mean, we just were talking about Google. A lot of promise here. Some cool tech on the, on the inside that I really want to talk about. They got to execute, right? And I'm going to buy one too, but we'll see. You know, we got to review oh, it. Oh, what did I, what did I, I messaged you the night before the demo. And what did I say to you? <laughs> he said, you're going to love this cool TV thing. No, I said, I'm demoing a cool TV thing tomorrow on stage and you are going to buy it the minute it comes out. Oh, I, and I absolutely am. <laughs> so here's the thing. I mean, so here's my version of the story. So what Walt was explaining uh, is Complicated, right? That's a complicated set of ideas. It's this box. It you can perceive it as a universal remote control, but it's doing all the switching uh, and abstracting away of your existing devices. There's all this interface stuff. There's all the switching. There's a lot to explain there. And Lauren just did a ton of legwork, like going, meeting with a company for weeks ahead of time, preparing them for the demo, writing the piece about the launch. I mean, she just worked her ass off. Great. So I'm watching the demo as as Walt and Lauren are telling me about it. Um, I have access to the videos ahead of time because I work at Fox Media. And I'm sitting there going, how the hell does this thing work? Because every other device that has ever tried to control a bunch of other devices has run into just very obvious walls. One of them is if you don't have API access to a box um, and you can't send it specific commands, you have to send it. IR commands using an infrared blaster. If you have been following me for a while, you know I think those it's like the worst technology available, but it's the most standard, so we're stuck with it. I hate IR it. blasters often fail. Uh, you know the Google TV was built around controlling a cable box with an IR blaster. It was basically doomed from the start because of it. The Xbox One had an IR blasting system. It still does. I thought it was terrible. Other people in our comments section think it's great. Whatever. Uh, it's not a great technology to build your product on. Right? It's not flexible. It's not resilient. You can break it really easy. There's HDMI CEC. It's like slightly better. It sends the signal over HDMI, but it's not a well-implemented standard. I think the it's Kavo broken. people it's broken. Yeah, the Kavo people described it as broken, right? It's everybody has a different riff on it. Everybody brands it differently. So I'm looking at this. I'm saying there's no way you can sell a $400 box that isn't going to break using any of these available technologies. It's just not possible. And uh, device like the Apple TV 
doesn't let you control it over an API, right? It's just not how it works. So I was, or, I, or the app, or the Amazon one, by the way. Yeah, it's it's not how it works. What are they doing? And this company has this executive pedigree. You know, it's super high end executives. It has a ton of investment money from like high end VCs. I'm just I'm sitting there thinking they got to have something else, right? It can't just be we made a fancier Harmony remote and HDMI switch. So I just started poking around, and then you know I saw the demo, and I said to Walt and I said to Lauren. You got to ask them if they're doing machine vision because that actually closes the loop. And it was really nerdy. And Walt, I got, Walt was like, yeah, sure, maybe. Because <laughs> it's such a nerdy question. Yeah. Well, um, you, you, I have to stop for a second and saying, you, you know, by now, if you listen to this podcast, Neela and I are friends. We get along. We agree on a lot of things. <laughs> I love TV stuff. Yeah. Nobody loved. Nobody is as nuts about TV stuff as Neil. <laughs> nobody on our entire Verge staff. Nobody on any no other tech site yeah. that I know of cares enough, cares as much about the crazy innards of TV stuff as yeah. this guy. It's so my favorite. This thing. is why I was teasing him the night before the demo, before he even saw it. He's like, "What is it? What is How it? Does How it does it work? How's it go?" And before yeah. I even knew the name or anything else, you know. <laughs> and then, as soon as he saw the demo, he's like. Can you ask them? He, you didn't ask me to use the word machine. I did. You said, "Can you ask them? This can't be just IR. What is it?" So I ask them, and they say, "Oh, it's APIs. We put our yeah. own app on Apple TV. We put our own app uh, or service, whatever they call it, on the Amazon box. That allows us to tap into the APIs of knowing yeah. what's we can deep link into the services." All right, that made sense to me. That was good enough for me. Not good enough for <laughs> Neelai. <laughs> so I call him up on the phone yesterday. I get the CEO and CTO. We're on a Google Hangout. Um, they're in the hotel at Code Media. Yeah, um, they're very happy. They finished their demo. They're yeah, thrilled. They, they, they think it's all done. And I go, you got to tell me, are you doing machine vision on the HDMI stream? Are you watching these interfaces? And they look super sheepish. And they said, well, yeah, we didn't want to tell anyone. <laughs> because it's a brand new – it's such a new technology – uh, there's a lot of reasons why you want to, you know, they're not to launch it. They're not launching until June. And they explained, like, we, you know, we we want to go and have good relationships with all of our partners. Uh, we, we we want this to be a box that it's, it's kind of like Switzerland. You know, we're not beholden to anyone. We're just offering a good customer experience. But the core, so they didn't want to give away the game, but they don't need deals. They don't need permission. What they are able to but do. But they are getting deals. We but they are. They want those things, that. but they don't need them. And so that makes, you know, they can walk in with a little bit more bluster than usual. So, that, you know, they're being careful. But what they said was, here's what we're doing. You plug in all of your devices. As Walt was saying, you don't have to number the inputs. You don't have to name the inputs. You don't have to tell this box what the hell you're plugging in. You plug it in. You boot it up. The cloud looks at the video coming out of the box and says, that's an Apple TV, that's a PS4, that's a, that's a Chromecast, whatever it is, automatically decides what it is. That thing Walt's talking about where you watch Netflix and you unplug the Apple TV, it finds Netflix somewhere else, that's because it knows what everything is. So it has a map of where everything is. When you call up a show, when you call up House of Cards, it says, what is my user's preferred provider for Netflix? It opens that box in the background, so it puts up that splash screen. What's happening just underneath that splash screen is the computer is actually navigating the interface of the box. It is clicking around using IR or CEC or whatever access it has, watching 
its movements and making the right selections for you. And then when the content starts playing, it drops that splash screen and all you see is the content. That is wild. Like, I know Walt's going to make fun of me because I love TV, but they have literally built an AI-powered interface robot that navigates your home theater for you. No one has ever done this. I think it is one of the coolest applications of, uh, like, bots that exists. They are – they basically built you – it's a super smart universal remote in, in one paradigm. In another paradigm, it is an entertainment assistant that just knows how your stuff works. And so another example they gave me, which to me is the craziest one, there's no API access to the Apple TV, but there is deep link support on the Apple TV. So if you have an app open on the Apple TV and you click a button, it says, play this Netflix show, it can hand that link off to Netflix. So when it opens the Apple TV, you put the, you have to have the Cavo app on the Apple TV. It's preloaded. This is another reason they need Apple's permission to obviously get in the app store and do all that stuff. And the app does nothing obvious. It, it, it literally does nothing except handoff links. It's so just, just on your it. screen. You see this Cabo app. That's it. like when you buy the Cabo, it says install this app. Yep. And it's in the app store, presumably. And you install yeah, it. it. I think, yeah, right now it's in test flight or whatever. But when you say, I want to watch something on Apple TV, it uh, puts up the splash screen. In the background, it clicks over to Apple TV. It starts scrolling down until the machine vision locates the Cabo icon. Then it goes and selects the Cavo icon, opens the Cavo icon in the background. The Cavo app is then ready to accept a deep link request. The system sends it a Netflix link, and then the Cavo app on the Apple TV passes it to Netflix app on the Apple TV and opens Netflix. You as the user never see this, but there's literally a robot operating your Apple TV for you in the background. That means they can see what's happening on the screen. They can detect it. That's why they can do this, where did you leave off watching? They know where you are in the show, which is crazy. Uh, and so no matter where you pick it up from, they can skip you ahead to that point, that time marker. If Apple changes its interface, the IR macro library doesn't break because it's not pre-programmed. The cloud and the system can figure it out again. If you plug in new stuff, it can go figure that out for you. You can figure out how to run it. your Blu-ray player. It can do all this stuff because it is literally watching the screen and controlling it directly. I'm telling you, nothing else has ever come close to this. Now, it's super nerdy, and there's, like, really big privacy implications, right? So Vizio just got smacked by the FTC for watching your screen and collecting data and selling it to advertisers. They've got to navigate that. I'm sure Apple— There's no indication they're collecting data and selling it to advertisers, to be honest. Not yet, but they have to make a promise. They have to opt you in. You know, they they got to go through the steps of informing you and asking I know. I just think we want to be fair to them and say, you know, there's— it could be that they're planning to do that, but when I asked well, yeah, them what their so, business you know, the model was, they said, we're going to make the money off the hardware. The, you know, Apple has that new TV app. Netflix isn't in it because they don't want to share the data with Apple. Cavo can just see what people are watching on Netflix, right? That's the that's how the whole system works. So like, there's a lot there. So they got it between now and June, they got to navigate that. Then there's like just straight up, you know, as you were saying, is Comcast going to be okay with them abstracting away the entire X1 interface where they make a ton of money? Who knows, right? Are they going to try to find a way to block this? Who Actually, knows? I know Com- Comcast so far, unless they change their mind, has said okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the one thing that they didn't have when we started the conference, which was the right to go into Comcast DVR library, what they call the catalog, yeah. so that – you know how a lot of people when they sit down to watch TV, if they have cable, one of the first things they do and says is they look at their DVR list to see what has been recorded – when they were asleep or, you know, away on a trip or something. 
Uh, they wanted very much to get that. They have it for Dish uh, and I think maybe one other provider, but they wanted it for Comcast. And during the course of the conference, there were Comcast people there. Apparently, Comcast said okay. So yeah. Com- Comcast is okay with it. Yeah, so they got to do this work, right? They got to go show the people a thing. They got to get the deals because their ability to control another device without needing permission, I think gives them just an insane amount of leverage that could be scary to these providers who are used to locking their systems down, knowing that the technology to control their devices doesn't exist very well, so you're going to end up using their remote anyway, blah, 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 blah. Now you've got a company that is using you know, this new breed of technologies and machine vision and computer learning and AI and all this stuff to build what I think is the smartest control system if you have a disparate entertainment system in your home. I, it's kind of crazy, right? It's $400. If you think about it, it is kind of the ultimate hack, right? Like we've got, it's, it's the TV control environment is so bad that the best way to solve it is to introduce machine learning AI and like monitor your screen. <laughs> Like, maybe we could do better than that, but it's been years and we haven't done it. So, uh, to me, that was the story. And I, you know, I talked to the CTO and the CEO last night for, for some time, and, you know, it's on the verge today. But to me, the story is they have built finally a TV control system that is so smart that you can't break it. And there has yet, anywhere else, I've, I've not seen anything of that caliber. Now, we had a lot of comments in the post today. People are saying, well, I just, you know, I don't have 15 boxes. I don't want to spend $400 on this. I think that's fair. I think you could get away with just having a Roku in your life, and that's it. And a lot of cord cutters do that. But I have a lot of boxes. I have friends with a lot of boxes. Walt has a lot of boxes. Logitech sells a lot of $300 Harmony Elite remotes. If you can say, well, this is $400 and it's way better, I think it, it, has, a, it has a chance to find a place in the market. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's way better. I want to mention one other feature that I thought was very cool that shows you the amount of hack hack or technology that they've thought about building into this. So they have a feature called the in-law feature. <laughs> and what to and that's what they call it internally. Yeah. I don't know if they'll market it that way. <clears throat> they did use the phrase on stage. And the in-law feature is basically your in-laws or your friends or somebody come over, stay at your house or just at your house. And they want to watch TV or play a game on the PlayStation or whatever it is. And they don't know how to use the Cabo remote. So they don't want to learn it. And I'm going to talk about the Cabo remote in a minute. But Cabo has specifically set one of their goals. And they showed, demoed it on stage. And they demoed it to me, uh, you know, elsewhere in the hotel earlier. One of their goals is that the original remotes that come with all these boxes yep. still work. They still mm-hmm. work. So you can pick up the PlayStation remote. You can pick up, pick up the Apple TV or the Roku remote, and it will work. But here's the interesting thing. You're thinking to yourself, well, that's no big deal. <clears throat> it's just working the normal way. It's connecting to the Apple TV the normal way it's supposed to. It's not. It's Somehow it's going through Cavo to work. Cavo is still in the middle of Apple's own remote and Apple's own box. Yep. If you have a Cavo, uh, and it's in the it's in the way of Roku. It just it says, "Oh, this person has picked up the Roku remote," and it knows yeah. that, and it just lets the Roku remote do its thing as it normally would, even right. though your only box you could see. Your only box you typically use is Cavo, but your in-law comes in and picks up the Roku remote. 
And I think yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, and that, on top that's of a combination else. of two things, right? A, they know how to control the devices. B, they know what's on the screen. So a normal, this is going to get real wonky, but a normal. Like the rest know, of you, it hasn't been? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Control Walk to Lead. The wonkiest <laughs> show. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, a normal remote like the Logitech Harmony. I, I keep bringing it up because that's the one I have. Um, but there's lots of them. Uh, even if you have the highest end sort of like Crestron $200,000 smart home in your life. Um, they are state-driven. So you push the button, it runs a macro, and then it assumes that wherever that macro landed is the final state of the thing until you run another macro on the remote. If you change the state, the remote has no idea what happened on screen. So then you push the button, you run mm-hmm. a macro, and it gets all confused. Cavo, Which is, is why I watching... do not have a Logitech Harmony remote, Right, because be it's, it's just a bad... Way too much work. And you got to program the macro. It's a whole thing. Cavo is watching the screen. So you can use all the other remotes, and when you put down those remotes and re-pick up Cavo, it knows where it is. It's such a stupid, simple idea, but it's no one has ever cracked it. So you can And Cavo's wipe. remote, by the way, in addition to having lovely wood. Yeah, talk about the Cavo remote. You it, actually used it. Yeah. It, it, there's lovely wood on the back side of it. It has actually a little piece of metal, tasteful piece of metal for so it sits on your table in kind of an in kind of a slightly angled way. It's very nice. But the top of it is the cool thing. It's a, it's all capacitive, but it has buttons. Yeah. And you can map those buttons. You don't have to, but you can map them however you want. You can map them to exactly match the Roku remote. You can map, map them to exactly match the Apple room, whatever you want. Or you could just use it. Uh, it also has speech. It uses Alexa, but it has its own speech thing. Of course, every... You probably own uh, listeners several remotes that have speech. They have their yeah. own, and it's and again, it's only a demo, but it seemed to work great. Yeah, and uh, it was just a little. Lauren and I were just a little thrilled to see iTunes icons and Amazon icons <laughs> together. Yeah, together. It's like yeah. you know the end of the Cold War. Uh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> But it, so that's the thing, right? I think that's the, the 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 challenge and the opportunity for this company are the same thing. They're the only player that doesn't need deals because they have built this interface system. They still need the deals. They need people to play nice with them. They want to expand their system. If they want to go into new markets, they want to add new capabilities. They need to play nice with everybody. There's the privacy and the data collection, all that stuff. They got to play nice with everybody. And I think they have so much firepower because they've cracked this fundamental problem of abstracting control away that they're being very careful about it. So I think as they did all the demos and all the briefings and stuff, they didn't talk about it. But once you push them, how does it work? They're actually pretty proud of it. You know, he, we mentioned Blake Krikorian, um, who passed away, I think, last August. Um, the CTO, Shish Agarwal, said, Blake's like among his last words to me were like, if you can make this work, we'll be everywhere. And we want it to be everywhere. Like they're very passionate and emotional about this product and what they've built. So it's rare. You know, I think we on the show, we talk a lot about iterations of things. Like is this phone better than last year's phone? Is this laptop going to run mobile apps? Whatever. This to me is one of the first real novel really useful applications of a big technology that will actually make your life better, right? It's the first consumer application of AI in a targeted way that's going to make something that is bad meaningfully better. And yes, it's expensive and it's made of bamboo and it looks silly and 
all that stuff. And maybe you don't need 500 bucks in your life. But if you are that person, it, I think it's the first time where you can say, all right, I know why machine vision is improving my life. So it just got, yeah. it, it got me excited. No, you're absolutely right. And the other way to think about it, even if you never heard the words machine vision, is where it's almost as if Blake said, and I don't, I never, he, I never talked, I've talked to Blake many, 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 many times, but not about this because it was secret at the time he died. But it's almost as if Blake and the others said, you know what, we really hope somebody, Apple or somebody, solves the problem of siloing of TV and multiple inputs and, you know, not being able to get to the show you want and having to buy bundles of these things called networks, which is another whole story and another whole column, but I think networks are dead and meaningless and shows are meaningful and actors and directors are meaningful. Uh, But uh, it's almost as if they said, we're tired of waiting for this. So yeah. we can we can just do this with hardware and smart software and just pull everything together in your house. And someday maybe the whole TV world will be different. But until it is, your TV world can look just like what you want. And that's what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, I just think it's real. It's 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 just one of those things. It's new. It's it's a new idea. And I I think. We we spend so much time thinking about iterative ideas that truly new ideas, no matter how kind of niche they seem, just get they just get me really excited. Me too. Yeah, I was there we pre- go. I was pretty amazed when I saw it and pretty happy to be at the demo. And this is yeah. why you should all buy expensive tickets to the code conference. <laughs> Finally, we end on a plug. It's been it's been like a year and change of episodes, and it just ends on a plug for the code conference. It's the longest con in in podcast history. Um, <laughs> Well, we got to wrap up. It's been a time. We had Dieter on. His show was jam-packed. Jam-packed. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And the Fun Week on the site, there's all kinds of other shows to listen to. We've been talking about the Code Conference. A lot of those interviews are going to end up on the Code Media podcast, hosted by one Mr. Peter Kafka. So listen to that. It's great. Um, Like I said earlier, just a great lineup this year. Really smart guests, really smart interviews. Check it all out. Uh, The videos are on Rico's YouTube page, and it's going to be in the podcast. Kara Swisher, who also hosts a bunch of interviews, interviewed Marty Baron with Walt. She's got a great podcast, Recode Decode. Uh, Lauren Good, who's brilliant. We've mentioned her several times today. Does Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is wonderful. Uh, And then Dieter, who was actually on the show, which is amazing. We conjured him out of nothing, and then he disappeared. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He is in New York. We're going to record the Vergecast tomorrow. I'm sure we're going to nerd out. Uh, Cavo a little bit more because uh, I'm just obsessed with it. So listen to that. It's pretty fun. Oh, I forgot to say. I totally forgot to say. Send us intros. I'm at Reckless. Walt's at Walt Mossberg. Love your intros. I actually got a bunch of great ones this week. Love them. Keep sending them. Send us feedback. Want to hear all about it. Can I just stay here at the Ritz for next week? Yeah, you should. It's, it suits you. <laughs> you know? Looking out at the ocean. Yeah. You know, getting room service. Whatever. I got to say, some of my favorite moments are of, at the code conferences I've been to is at the very end, I go up to Walt's, you know, palatial suite, and we smoke <laughs> some cigars looking at the ocean. It's, this is where Walt lives. Like, if you imagine what's Walt's life like, he's standing on a balcony staring at the ocean smoking a fine cigar. <laughs> That's it's true. It's just a fact. It's, it's great stuff. <laughs> and thinking about the Patriots. <laughs> and with that. And that's it. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.